Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is sponsored by R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice, a welcome addition to anyone's sleep routine. Pace case, if you know me, and you do, mm-hmm. you know that I'm yeah. working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So the sleep that I do get has to be very good sleep. And I'm always looking for ways to up my sleep routine. Sometimes I'll read a book to go to sleep. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'll, I a bachelor. Uh, that book keeps me very awake. It's very engaging. That never puts me to sleep. Mm. I will sometimes just put down my cell phone after a long day of looking at a screen. It's nice to get some time away from the screen. I also will incorporate some R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice. It truly makes you go to sleep a little easier. It's the thing you need to help you drift off into the dreamland. Mm. As more and more people are looking to prioritize sleep, organic Just Tart Cherry is having a moment thanks to Tart Cherry's potential sleep-related benefits and potential to aid in muscle recovery when you get those gains-like clues. We're seeing this in the viral Sleepy Girl mocktail trend on social media. R.W. Knutson has a whole lineup of natural juices with zero added sugar, so you can feel good about adding them to your wellness routine. It's all about celebrating those daily wins. Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice is made from tart cherries, which may help you get a better night's sleep because they have natural melatonin. R.W. Knudsen crushes only 100% real ingredients, so you can crush everything you do. Pick up a bottle at your local grocery store today. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in... um three-body problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. It's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact, Mm. they have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back, no questions asked. You get the... Tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. This is the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. 
Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues, and it's another Tuesday without a game. So, we thought today we would take some time to answer questions from people within the pit. The pit will provide questions and answers. As it does. It provides everything for all people. But before we get into those questions... Did you see the Lil Nas X video? Oh, from yes. Montero? I loved this video. I was surprised by how novel it felt to watch because I was like, have we had a gay hip hop artist who's so popular? We haven't, have we? No, there are out gay hip hop artists. No one as popular as him. I mean, he's won Grammys. Old Town Road was one of the biggest songs in the fucking world for an entire year. This is a whole other level of uh, kind of global visibility. I also love this video. Conceptually, it's fantastic. Visually, it's fantastic. And obviously... You guys should watch it right now. If you haven't seen it, it, it's a controversial video that is currently out in the video. Lil Nas X gives Satan a lap dance. (laughs) Which is fucking amazing. I highly recommend it. It is. It's incredible. I I loved that video. I, I don't know who shot it, but it was just of Lil Nas when he went to a elementary school and he performs Old Town Road and all the kids like jump up and down and sing with him. It's one of the cutest videos I've ever seen. And then I think about those kids and they're probably watching this video and it's just like, I don't know. I just have so much hope for the younger generations and like gender identity and sexuality. They will think of these things so differently. And Lil Nas is helping with that a lot. Absolutely. When I was those kids age, this is in the mid 80s, the things Uh that were on MTV that I was watching. And by the way, MTV at that time... It was the best thing on television. I don't know how to impart this. Like, if you didn't grow up in the 80s, you can never possibly understand what MTV was. It was obviously before the internet. They had a show every Friday called the Top 20 Music Video Countdown. I watched it every Friday. And they would go through the top 20 videos, counting down from 20 to video number one. Number one was always like Michael Jackson or Madonna, every fucking whatever song they had out. And these videos were fucking works Mm -hmm. of art. Unlike anything you would ever see. I mean, the the peak of music video production was somewhere in the late 90s with Mark Romanek's video for Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson's Scream. $7 million spent on the budget of that video. Still the biggest music video budget ever spent in the history of humankind. And they've kind Did of tapered off Did your parents know you were watching this? Yeah, I demanded it. My parents were actually strangely very liberal with mm. what I got to watch on television. But uh, I love music videos. I love the whole culture of it, the art of them, and this idea that musicians could also generate images that would be culturally impactful and at the time the closest thing you get to what we see now this Lil Nas X video was maybe Mm -hmm. like a George Michael freedom video where he's you know got on some aviator shades and like tight jeans and he's shaking his butt in front of the camera that's like as close as you get to something Mm. like that or maybe even Madonna, when she gets into her Vogue period, she had a lot of Vogue dancers that were like in the kind of larger New York gay scene. But like, I didn't know that as a fucking kid. 
I know it now because there have been a million yeah. documentaries and, and whatever. As a kid, I was just like, oh, those guys are dancing really weird with their hands. But I mean, it was it was kind of happening. This shit, though, if you're a 10 year old kid watching this little Nas X video, there's mm-hmm. no extra research that needs to be done. He's giving Satan a lap dance. I mean, it's right there. <laughs> I mean, the makeup is super fun. He's he's just got this little like innocent, like. Like kind of like trickster attitude the whole time. I love it. Totally. He's so great cute. video. We thought we would we would open with a little discussion about that because it is one of the biggest kind of stories happening right now in contemporary media. Check this video out if you haven't seen it. The name of the song is Montero, Call Me By Your Name. I just couldn't recommend it more. It's it's probably the most important music video we've seen in fuck, I don't know, a decade. Like since music videos kind of lost their power. I mean shit. I don't mean to go back to the eighties. But there was a music video called Thriller, done by an artist called Michael Jackson. You might have heard of him. They would MTV would tell you when they were going to play it. They would play it at midnight sometimes on Fridays. But they would also be like, we're going to play it tomorrow at 6 p.m. You would fucking make goddamn sure your ass was on the couch ready to watch that video. It was huge. It was like a, a piece of American culture unlike anything we had ever seen. And music videos just don't have that cachet anymore. Obviously, because you just watch them on YouTube. There's not like a TV channel. You don't have to wait for a time, all that kind of stuff. But the only appointment television I have is The Bachelor at this point. Everything else is separated from time. It doesn't need to be appointment viewing. I feel absolutely the exact same way. But it's just, it's good to see this kind of, I feel like in many ways music videos are a forgotten art form because the budgets have shrunk, because the whole nature of how music is promoted, produced, all that kind of shit has drastically changed since the you know, the kind of height of MTV's power. It does my heart good, my aged heart, to see a music video <laughs> having this much of a cultural impact where people are like outraged by it and there's controversy and you know, it, it is pushing things forward in terms of social progress as well. To see that a music video still has yeah. that kind of power is just fucking, I love it. It it just makes me very happy in a time when very it's few It's a thi- great moment for cocaine as well. Heavily featured <laughs> in the lyrics. <laughs> but yeah, I I never hear about music videos. I definitely miss that whole that was not a part of my my childhood at all but this broke broke through i saw a lot of people commenting on it there's several different controversies that are included conservatives getting outraged about um the devil lap dance as well as i guess there's an fk twigs video that is similar yeah it's for a song called cellophane one of the major kind of motifs mm. in the little nas x video is he is an angel in heaven and then he takes a stripper pole down to hell which is where he performs the lap dance (laughs) on satan and there's an fka twigs video where she also is kind of like on a stripper pole descending into a hellish type place Mm. but whatever you can draw that conclusion yourself the bottom line is this little nas x video is very important in terms of not only the art form of the music video but in terms of our kind of cultural conversation about yeah is an artist responsible for what your kids think? 
obviously not. And uh, no. <laughs> and this idea that that somehow Lil Nas's first song, Old Town Road, was like a gateway drug for these little kids, and now he's got them, yeah. and he's gonna <laughs> show them the <laughs> the road leads to hell, boys and girls. Uh, <laughs> it's just great. Congratulations to Lil Nas X from us. I'm sure he listens to our podcast, so he'll be very happy to hear yeah. that. I mean, you can tell he's descending into the pit, dancing with Dark Lord Harrison. But now let's move on, Pace Case. Let's get to what we came here for. Let's dig up some of these questions that are bouncing around in the bottom of the pit, and let's do our best to dig up answers as well. Are you ready? Ready. First question comes from Danny J. Padilla. Who would you two have personally chosen as ring winner if you were Matt James? If you were given his 30-woman cast, not just the final two. Oh, who would I choose as my spouse? I don't know if that's the question. I think it's like, (laughs) who who would we select as like the best player maybe? Or yeah, who would you choose your spouse? I don't know. You can answer it however you like. Well, I guess ring winner doesn't necessitate spouse. It's who you want to make Instagram content with. Mm-hmm. Huh, that's a great question, Danny Padilla. I want to look at the cast list. So, a lot of people might not be familiar with her, but I think that the person I would have chosen would be Kim Lee. Do you remember her? <laughs> yeah. She was one of the five new players, the only one who wasn't chosen to stay. Um, she's a an ICU nurse, and I just, I love her Instagram content. She has an aesthetic that I'm really into. She also seems like she's really funny, and I feel like we could be a fun dynamic duo if she was my ring winner and definitely make content for, you know, however long until we both find our actual true loves (laughs) she came in with a pretty strong base if i remember right too didn't she have around 20k yeah so she did have a solid base going in i think around 20k and i believe this is because she dated a youtuber for a while and this is part of why i think she and i could make fun funny content because i watched her videos with her ex and they were funny and she's She's got a hidden talent, and I feel like we just didn't see enough from her. Kimley, who would you pick? I would go, and this is controversial, obviously, Victoria Larson. Because (laughs) seeing her beat, every player all the way to the end would have been mind-blowing i don't i don't know what that would have done to the franchise i don't know what that would have done to the season but certainly it would have been the most entertaining season possibly imaginable and it would have maybe given us a (laughs) a different final outcome than the one we had to slog through but i just found her to be i know again she's controversial people think she's a bully whatever all these things she was the most entertaining villain that we have seen in a very long time And I found myself wanting to watch her more and more. So you're picking her to be your wife. My wife? She's your ring winner. Oh, as as if I'm the bachelor? That's what we're doing here? Well, I guess (laughs) Danny's question isn't super clear. 
I thought this was me picking my wife. <laughs> I thought it was me picking who I wanted to watch win the show. Like what would have been well, most I entertaining was like, to me. It's my wife and also like us creating Instagram content after because I feel like that's okay. really what you're picking your ring winner for. But you know what? I like this version of it. Like what is the most like, I mean, what a fascinating season if, if Victoria makes it to the end we probably would have learned a lot more about her but which i would have enjoyed imagine the other players like every week just being like this has yeah. to be the week he fucking gets rid of her right yeah nope <laughs> and every con every week the, the players are just like what is going on they just become more and more incensed by her presence and she becomes more and more empowered by her presence like he's never gonna kick me off ha 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 i i would yeah. love that season i think it would be hilarious yeah she goes on multiple she goes on multiple two-on-ones and they're like this is when she's not gonna come back and then she's like the queen is back bitches the the last episode before Still here playoffs is just three two-on-ones and she's in every one of them yeah <laughs> i uh, love that i would love it on to question number two, Lauren Simon says, gives us a fuck, Mary kill. Nick Vial, Chris Harrison, and Neil Wayne. Fuck Nick Vial, obviously. Kill Chris Harrison and marry Neil Wayne. I feel like we saw a gentler Neil Wayne this most recent season. You know, he told that story about his mom. I feel like he's like very easygoing. I mean, it would probably be a sexless marriage, but... I could see him being in a far distant corner of our mansion together. <laughs> Interesting. I fuck Chris Harrison to teach him a lesson. I marry Nick Vial for the happiest life I could imagine. And I kill Neil Lane as revenge for the blood diamonds that he sells on a daily basis. <laughs> Next question. Oh Grace God. Ann Parks, the dark seeker asks, truly, what do you think happened to Alex Michelle, our very first bachelor? What does that mean? What happened to him? Like, why does he have an know. Instagram? He doesn't have an Instagram. I I don't know what he's doing. I think he was doing random business jobs or something. I don't know. Okay. I just Googled Alex Michelle and there's a Women's Health Mag article from July of 2020 that says, what happened to Bachelor star Alex Michelle? Well, okay, well, now it's giving me a lot of history I already know. Oh, he was a Match.com spokesperson in 2003. He was the romance and proposal expert for Princess Cruises. Okay, so he did some form of SpawnCon. I didn't know that. He worked on the rerun show and our very first sex tape, according to IMDb. The rerun show recreates your favorite sitcoms verbatim without all the boring stuff. What does that mean? <laughs> like, was he acting? I have no idea. He attended the Gigli premiere with a mystery date. He was a VP at Bernstein Global Wealth Management. Mm. Co-founded a tech startup. Lives and works in the Washington, D.C. area. Is a managing director for Generation Consulting. So I think he just, he's just become a, a boring consultant man. That's what it sounds like. Well, there you have it. That is what Single. happened to Alex Michelle. Next question comes from Reality Field Notes, who has a fantastic Instagram account. You should all go check out where it's these beautiful watercolor 
paintings and handwritten notes of all the creatures that appear in our beloved game. Reality Field Notes asks, do you think the show Bible has guidelines for creature content? If so, what do you think it says regarding creatures? Praise be our beloved game. I don't know if the Bible has anything about creatures, but this I do know. If you're a camera operator on the show, at some point, you're going to be tasked with collecting B-roll of creatures. They are getting these shots. This is not stock footage that they're buying from a stock footage library. These are actual shots of real creatures in the locations where they're shooting. So I don't know if a producer is like, get a shot of that squirrel, or if the camera people are just doing it in between takes. But certainly, every season is packed with creatures. As you know, we're able to deliver a creature of the week every fucking week. And there are multiple choices Mm -hmm. every goddamn week. They put creatures in every episode. Do you think that Nemecolin Resort provided some of that B-roll? I think it was all shot by the, Mm. the crew. The show's crew. I mean, how do you find it? I guess, like, whatever those animals were, goats, cows, or sheep, which we often confused, (laughs) they are all in an enclosure. So that footage, I feel like, is pretty easy to get. But the ones of, like, the deer and the birds, like, you got to seek that out. I'm never going to forget that shot of... Matt James sitting in the foreground with a squirrel running down a tree in the background. Fortuitous, certainly. But Mm -hmm. that camera operator did have to pull focus to get that squirrel sharp. They were aware. They were like, fuck, we better zoom in on the squirrel. We better make that the fucking focus of attention in this shot, not The Bachelor. I mean, it's very... I would love to know what exactly this process is. Is it... One day is entirely B-roll. They're like, we need to go get all of these different animal shots. You know, yes. I think yes. Unless you're getting, Mm -hmm. again, that lucky shot of a squirrel in the background of a Matt James shot. I think for the most part, they send out... shitting donkey. Shitting donkey. I think they send out a second crew, basically, to get Mm -hmm. as many animal shots and you know sunsetting type shots and trees and just all the b-roll that they the use the nature type shit shelly fay asks if you could access full raw footage from any season which would you pick and why this is a that is a fantastic question, question. <laughs> that's drilling into the deepest part of my brain getting to those fucking brain cells that are only bachelor nation just swimming around those specific brain cells <laughs> yeah well there's like there's a core in the middle of my brain that is the engine that makes all the other shit work and that is like just and that's all bachelor saturated with bachelor information and not <laughs> having to access it <laughs> okay i have one Okay. Bob Guinea. It's a good one. He supposedly fucked the most players in his season of anyone. And like maybe hooked up with a producer too. I just feel like there's a lot of unanswered questions with Guinea. And like mm. he maybe had like a secret like dark side. I definitely got that impression from things Estella, his ring winner, said. Of him, like, actually just, like, wanting to be famous. So I'm very... I would love to get that unedited footage. Like, is he just, like, a star fucker? 
Where or how do you think this dark side would have been expressed in this footage? Conversations with producers. Mm-hmm. The laugh footage we never saw. <laughs> Was there laugh, laugh footage we didn't see? I feel like we saw it all <laughs> in that season. I mean, the hookups, I assume, were all recorded. Yeah, I don't know. I I just assume there were conversations that made him look worse that they didn't put in because I think they protect mm-hmm. their bachelors most of the time. Interesting. I think if I had to select raw footage, I would go with season 24. You thought I was going to say one because that is, of course, <laughs> I did. Vial. But I'll tell you this. About you wouldn't choose Vial? Nah, because guess what? Nothing what? you could show me that I don't already know. I've thought so much about that fucking season. I've seen the raw footage in my mind. I've conjured it, and I know it's accurate. I don't need to the see the fucking The core of my brain is the raw shot. footage. I'm just saying, I've thought so much about that season and analyzed it from every fucking direction. There is nothing new mm-hmm. that could be shown to me. Nothing. You're basically an AI for that season where you can just like fill in the corners based on like shadows. Absolutely. <laughs> The season I would pick is season 24. This is, of course, PP. The reason uh-huh. I would pick PP's season, there are multiple fucking reasons. First, I need every angle of the head injury. They only give us that kind of security Ooh. camera footage when he crashes the fucking glass into his head. I need to see every camera they had on that. I need to really inspect it. And PP's reaction like, did he cry? Yeah, we never got to see that. I also want to see the raw gameplay footage of really the two players who ushered in the professional era, Sluss and Pruitt. I want to see what they're Mm. doing, especially in the conversations in the fantasy suites where they're forced to live together for a week. We got to see them pressed together on that bed, having the Sluicean protocol conversation. I want to see everything that was happening that week how fucking hard that was and how they got through it i also want to see what celeste was doing on night one in all of her i mean there's just so much to analyze there and the cherry on top why i really want season 24 raw footage is give Mm -hmm. me that sweet 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 numb footage (laughs) i need to see it all (laughs) i want to see her fucking conversations with producers we got to see her Losing her mind about bring her home, bring her home to us. Oh, bud. We got to see all that shit. What we didn't get to see is her talking to producers about becoming famous, about maybe getting her own show. Mm. All that shit exists. I need to see it. Did she try to do like little bits to like add to her character that were cut out? Because it was like, oh, we already have a lot of sweet gnomes. And all the Chase Rice footage. I want to see that shit. What he really thought about Victoria Fuller showing up. What she really thought about that whole fucking... There's just a lot of stuff Mm. in season 24 that I find extremely interesting. That three-on-one date where Kelly Flanagan gets eliminated and they had to Frankenstein lines together about her not liking the other two players. I want to see what she really said. I want to see how that all really went down. Season 24 is a very interesting one to Mm -hmm. me in the evolution of the whole game for a wide variety of reasons. And again, it's just... Fuck, Kelsey Weir... All those you could see. I was footage. just thinking, I mean, Kelsey. God. I was like, you could see the conversation with the producers where they're like, "You're going to do your hooju now," and she's like, "Got it." And the only hooju that might have been a perfect ten, but the producers omitted the fucking dismount footage. I would get to see that footage. 
Well, now we need to get that. <laughs> Tori Van V. Reed asks, can you foresee an LGBTQ season in this franchise's future? As a spinoff or as the main game? That was the question. In the franchise's mm. future, I think it could be either. We've obviously seen them dip their toe into this world with Demi on Bachelor in Paradise Season 6. Would they ever anchor an entire... Look, the answer is yes. I'm saying the answer is yes. They will. Here's why I think yeah. this. What we are now seeing with fucking Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, Bachelorette, Bachelor... It's like they're going to have a show on the air every fucking day. At a certain point, there's just going to be... So much bachelor shit that you can't get away from. They're also going to do that show about the elderly bachelors. Right. But I like, is it a show like that where they're like, oh, we're doing a gay season like the we're doing a senior season or is it going to be in January in May? I think it's that. I think it's like. January is straight bachelor. May is gay bachelor. I could see where they're going to do a, just as they're doing two bachelorette seasons in 2021, Mm -hmm. I could see them doing two seasons of bachelor or bachelorette in any given year. And maybe the second season or the first season. Right. Becomes like an experimental slot. I could completely see something like that happening. I can too. And I think just as we... Even if it took a long time, we saw a Black Bachelor. I think we're definitely going to see an LGBTQ lead. I do too. It'll probably be a woman first. I agree. Because I with think that. they dip their toe with Demi. They're like, oh, it's a nice white blonde lady. It's. Yeah. Unless. I like. Is the... it though? It's a bisexual bachelorette. Are they bringing both men and women? Are those people hooking up secretly? I don't know. Time will tell. Tequila, as we tequila like to shot at love. Time will oh, tell. <laughs> That's just the answer to all of our questions. The <laughs> Q&A episode. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Yeah. Uh, whoever asked time this. will tell. Time will tell. Ask, <laughs> ask time. Ask Kronos. The pit will provide this answer at some point. Our next question is another fuck Mary Kill from D Maisie. Mm. P P Jet and Jack or Sweet Nums? Fuck P P because curiosity. Just gotta know what that situation is. Kill Jet and Jack. I'm sorry, Jet and Jack, you're not getting me any spawn con. Mary Sweet Nums, obviously. We have a beautiful life together. She takes care of everything, as it seems like she does. Cooks all my meals. The reason Pee stayed in the home for so long is because Sweet Nums is a great person to live with. She's very caring. Clean, Do my laundry, maybe, you know? I got to nice. say, I have the exact same answer. Fuck Pee because <gasps> I got to know. Four times in a windmill, all that shit. Let's put these rumors to rest. Mm-hmm. Let me see what the real truth is. Jet and Jack. What Sorry, is the who? real peep? What is PP's PP like? You know, you got to know. I don't know who the fuck Jet and Jack even is. Get out of here. Fucking riding coattails <laughs> of PP. You're dead. 
killing Jet and Jack, and then Sweet Nums, of course, I'm marrying Sweet Nums, so that I can engage in a one-man mission to make her a parasocial superstar. <laughs> With me and Sweet Nums as a fucking power couple, I would make her the most famous bachelor mother. I mean, she already is the most famous bachelor mother, but I would ascend her into that A-level tier. She'd have more followers than PP after a year of us being married. I hope that this is like our stagecoach thing. It's like one of these little jokes that we have that just it gathers legs and it snowballs and then you end up married to Sweet Nums. I would never actually marry Sweet Nums. We are ideologically too different. I know, but I feel like you could you could uh, change that. How old Sweet Nums? She's a 60-something-year-old woman who believes in Jesus. I don't think I'm changing that. But I agree. Jet and Jack is doing nothing. I mean, he's doing SpawnCon, but I don't think he's willing to do what it takes. Sweet Nums, she's a star. She's the true star of the family. I totally agree. Our next question comes from Ariana Noah. The difference between sports and Bachelor. People who report on it are held to different standards. Old sports guys who report know everything about the history, right? I feel like people who have mm -hmm. Bachelor podcasts outside of Gore, I always know more than them and end up yelling at the phone while playing podcasts when they get facts and names wrong about old shit that has happened in the game. Why do you think this is, and when will they be forced to change? <laughs> <laughs> they will never be forced to change. But I think that... By the way, I don't... I don't think it's true that we are the only people who know a lot about it. Reality Steve does. I don't really listen to Bachelor podcasts because I like to stay clean, but I've heard that Juliet Littman is an encyclopedia type person for it. I think the reason that it is largely in this space of conjecture is because people just think it's a TV show. Most people don't view it as a sport. And you have to have a kind of overwhelming acceptance of the culture that covers it as a sport to accept the facts, the figures, the history, to make sure that that is, um, it's an important piece of how the game is analyzed. If you don't know the sports, if you don't know the statistical data that all these different plays and stuff have been based on, or the evolution of the game, which is the history of it, if you don't know those things, then it's just a show to you. You're just talking about what happened in the show you watched, as opposed to saying, this is what it means to the history of the game. And in that history, you're also then able to say this is the first player who did this kind of a mm -hmm. thing so that you can mark the big turns in it. And I think most people just don't know the history of it because, I mean, shit, <laughs> at this point, it's this hard to get this knowledge. It's yeah. hard to get this knowledge. You need to have your own dark seeker. Hard to get the knowledge. Also, like many people started watching it in their, you know, adolescence. And now that the show's been on for so long, you know, they weren't of like TV viewing age or coherent age to even remember the first seasons, let alone to have seen them. And when do, when do I think it will be forced to change? Like never, of course, because it's, there's going to be a contingent. And I think we are actually at the forefront of this kind of leading the movement to accept the bachelor as a sport. But I am hearing mm -hmm. on more and more podcasts that that is happening. And the way that they are covering the game is more sport like top 10 lists and, and openly saying who's going to win and this was a good move or that was a bad move. And some people are even calling it a sport. Uh, Jared Freed on 
the bachelor podcast last week we used his clip where he says he considers it the fifth american professional Mm -hmm. sport as do we so i don't think it's going to change because i think there will always be people who just want to talk about it as a reality tv show but i do think more people will be talking about it as a sport as well and the coverage of it will become more precise as a result yeah and i think there will also be a a book coming out in the next year that will change the game yeah our book will i think have a significant influence on how things are covered because at the very least at that point the question now will have to be answered by all bachelor podcasts Mm -hmm. is this a sport or not and then if you open the book at all there's only one answer to that question like that book will leave (laughs) no doubt in your mind it's a fucking sport because it's presented exactly as that but as with all things time will tell Emma J. Clarkey asks, who are your all-time favorite villains? Without going into a whole episode, which this could be. Let's right. just... A quick answer. We are planning on doing that episode. I mean, my number one... My number one is tied. Courtney Robertson, Corinne Olympios. Two different styles and different success rates played in different eras, but... I have to go with Courtney Robertson. She's not the first villain ring winner. Arguably, that is Vienna Girardi from Jake Pavelka's season 14 got somewhat of a villain edit. But Vienna was not as intentional about it as Miss Courtney Robertson, who just fucking steamrolled everyone on Ben Flagnick's season. There was no competition She was outwardly talking about how it was a game and no one else was playing except for her. It was the first outwardly not here to make friends strategy that got her the fucking ring, which was the ultimate prize at the time. And I'm like, if she had played after Instagram, maybe she would have gone harder for, I could see her going harder for like a crown strategy. I think she could have pulled it off, but ring winner was the main objective and then Corinne Olympios also probably would have done better in social media if she was a few seasons later but she made Nick Vile's entire season about her it was incredible Courtney Robertson for me is in terms of level of skill of a villain top Nobody comes close. She's like a fucking anime villain. I mean, it's like, I know that I'm here for the wrong reasons. <laughs> Highest compliment. So does everybody else, and it doesn't fucking matter. I'm still going to beat you. Even fucking Ben Flanick, like, knew she was playing him and still gave her the fucking yeah. ring. Incredible. But my favorite villain of all time is Tierra Lacazzi from Golden Boy Season 17, mm-hmm. Sean Lowe. Her IFI play is just unfucking rivaled. She played, <laughs> what was it, like three or four IFIs. Every time she was on camera, basically, mm-hmm. she was doing a fucking IFI, and they were all fake, and they all worked. 
It was <laughs> fucking crazy. She fell down a flight of stairs when Sean Lowe comes to pick up Ashley Frazier for a one-on-one, and then Sean Lowe's got to like break off from Ashley Frazier and be like, I got to go check on her. Hang on. And he goes, and she gets her one-on-one time. They did a group date where they had to do a polar bear plunge. All the other players jump in this cold water, and they come out, and they're like, oh, my God, that was exhilarating. This is amazing. She comes out like, oh, shivering, faking like she's passing out. She has to get medical yeah. attention. Sean Lowe has to go check on her in her hotel room. It was fucking brilliant villain play. I loved every fucking second of it. She also got the fimp that, well, I guess a bunch of people got fimps that season, but she got the real fimp that she season. She got the first first special rose. That was a season where the producers allowed Sean Lowe to give out 12 first impression roses, which kind of defeats the purpose, dudes. Yeah, Lakowski definitely, I mean, those IFIs were hilarious. She has very strong face play and it's just very comedic moments these injuries <laughs> it's almost all I remembered from that season as well yeah she was really great go back and watch season 17 for her stuff if you can Kelly Kearns asks if you could have anyone from Bachelor Nation as a guest on your show and you could only ask one question who would it be and what would be your question do they have to answer it? Yeah, let's say in this theoretical thing, they must answer and they must tell the truth. Okay, Chris Harrison, who did you vote for and why? Interesting. I would have the goat, Nick Viallon, and I would ask, when did the producers tell you that Rachel Lindsay is going to be the next Bachelorette and has to make a deep run in her season? <laughs> The pit provided an answer. There you go. J.M. Duckling asks, would you ever consider trademarking pit terminology, hooju, etc., or are you encouraging wider use of the specific terms you've created as coverage of The Bachelor as a sport grows? All of these terms are trademarked, and you cannot use them without our permission. You now owe us $10,000. Thank you for your time. <laughs> I mean, I've looked into trademarking these things, and it requires having some kind of product or company a logo something that would be associated with each one of them which at this point is just like it's a lot of work and uh you know i'm hopeful that when our book comes out at the very least these things will be attributed to us but yeah i mean i want widespread use of them as we're starting to see i mean tyler cameron used hooju in an mm -hmm. e-entertainment interview yeah that's a net positive despite no credit I-M-B-Z-L-Y asks, what's one change you would make to the format of the game? I have a couple thoughts. One small tweak is that I don't think they should, I think they should make the players not use Instagram or make all the players have someone managing their Instagram the whole time so that there's no spoilers from that. And I would say in the editing of the show, Every episode must end with a rose ceremony. None of this cliffhanger bullshit. That's fucking great. God, I wish they would fucking do that. My change to the game format is similar to yours. It has to do with social media. I would allow full use of cell phones during the game. Ooh. Why? To see how it affects the game. I think that... I mean, I would also restructure it a little bit so that you would basically shoot for a week, then air that week. 
and then the players would get to see how it affects their social media. They can be DMing people, getting outside help on the game. This is what this person mm. said. Holy shit. Victoria Fuller showed up in a White Lives Matter modeling thing. Like, to be yeah. able to see what's going on online as you're in season, I think would make it a, a much more interesting show. And maybe there'll be a reality show like that in about two years on TV somewhere called The Bracket. We'll see. Time will tell. Elizabeth Ailsa asks, do you regret having entered the pit? If you weren't in the pit, how do you think you'd be spending this time instead? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, an impossible question. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Bachelor alternate universe. No pit. I have some regrets about entering the pit. I don't think I had a choice in it. I think this was just, it was happening. As I started making the memes and this thing really started taking hold of me, like I knew at some point it would wind up in a version of this where I was at least creatively completely focused on making bachelor analysis in one way or another, whether it was the podcast, the memes, whatever. Do I regret it? I mean, there have been benefits. There have certainly been detriments. And the biggest detriment is that I have no room for any other creative endeavors. That is definitely Mm -hmm. weighing very heavily on me. And I think once we finish up the first draft of the book, that will change. I'll have some more time to, to devote to that kind of stuff. But the benefits are, I do feel like I'm making pretty interesting art as a result of this at this point. And, you know, it's always kind of fun to become a, I mean, not to toot our own horns, but like one of the world's foremost experts on something. That's kind of interesting yeah. to me. And how do I think I'd be spending this time instead? I'd be writing other stuff, doing other things, other creative endeavors, maybe a different podcast. I will say too, that's one benefit out of this for me. Definitely that I'm glad it has happened is I really have learned to like love the podcast format. And I think that I've gotten um, definitely better at doing it since we started doing this and whatever comes next. 100%. You know, I feel like I I have different ideas for other podcasts that I want to do as a result of doing this. And hopefully some point I'll be able to work on those as well. Yeah, I would say the main benefit for me is I've never gone so in depth on one specific topic. And knowing everything about something is very cool. Like, I enjoy it. I enjoy the level, the quality of content that we're able to make because of that, because all of these facts just come to mind right away. I would say the main negative would be that I don't know how to handle the DMs. And I don't really understand how people with any platform do handle that because you have to you have to be able to remove yourself emotionally <laughs> in order to look at all that feedback. And that's hard. And what would I be doing? Yeah, I would probably be working on a different show. The last show I worked on was The Good Place and I probably would have ended up on a different show but with less creative control i would say that's like the coolest thing about what we're doing is that you and i just decide everything and we decide the directions we're going we decide what type of episodes we're doing 
and there's really <laughs> we don't have like corporate overlords telling us what to do which is how most of the shows I've worked on operate I would also say this there's like a every movie book or TV show that I have written is just in terms of volume of work far less than this but also in terms of like the uh the kind of labor of it those things are more like <laughs> whimsical or something you're just like sitting down and like oh this is what this character says ha ha this will happen in this scene and uh, you know whatever this shit like there's a a craft to it that doesn't exist in writing like a a a technical skill you know in terms of like editing mm. and producing and putting it out and yeah. all that there's some kind of a weird just like you don't experience whimsy in editing no. nor do i even in the writing of what we do it's much more of like a grounded just kind of like get your hands dirty type of creative work than is writing for television or movies and there is something satisfying about that to me for me it has given it has made the idea of writing a tv show or a movie seem a thousand times easier because i now know it is i have this thing to compare it to that's like the amount of work we put into this and the degree of skill that we've had to like learn and build up and all that kind of shit, it blows that shit out of the water. And I used to have like almost reverence for some TV writers and movie writers and shit. And now I'm like, whatever. That's it's kind of a bullshit thing, you know. <laughs> and I'm not saying I don't even try I, to I come up with it. the creature of the week sting and then get back to me. <laughs> Yeah, every fucking week and then do Bachelor Nation News and then do Screws with the Pit and then do this and then write a book yeah. and all this kind of shit. It's like writing a fucking TV show is you get together with 10 super funny fucking people and sit around in a room and joke with each other all day and you have to shit out a 35-page script once a week for, what, 10 weeks? And you're done. And then you get a whole fucking half the year off and you get paid a fucking shitload of money. This ain't that. This is something. And we're doing this... <laughs> two and a half episodes a week forever it's like it doesn't ever yeah. stop you know this is more akin to like daily show yeah like a mad hour or a fucking mm. tonight show it's i think it's more similar to that and that is another kind of like volume of work type job like that shit i now have much more respect for than i did prior to this and if they get the facts wrong it's it's much worse there's higher stakes <laughs> That is true. But yeah, I would say doing this has given me like a um, a new respect for that type of writing and it has made the other type of writing at least seem to me much easier. Hmm. Just because I'm like, I remember selling a fucking TV show and you go through a couple of rounds of notes and you turn in your outline and then you do a draft and that draft might take you a week to write and then you get another draft after those notes and that takes a week and that's it. And then you get a nice check and that's the whole, <laughs> the whole job you know you can do it from beginning to end in about two months and uh this is drastically different this is like a lifestyle there is basically. no end <laughs> it's a lifestyle yeah there's no end and you're constantly thinking about it you're constantly working on mm -hmm. it which again is both detrimental and beneficial i do find that this process has allowed me to push through some barriers in terms of like my what i perceived to be limitations on my volume of work and i am thankful for that because i think it will carry over into other aspects of my creative life as well yeah you have to create your own boundaries for when you're working i suppose 
Uh, <laughs> some of us. <laughs> I'm trying to pack in as much as I possibly can. Zero boundaries. Like I want every waking moment to I be know. output. And I'm I getting there. I'm getting very close We're to very it. We're very different. <laughs> T-Gup asks us, who is arguably the worst player of all time? That's a hard question. Interesting. That is hard because it's like the worst players are the night one guys and girls that we never hear from. Yeah. But is there anyone, okay, is there anyone who like squanched a lot of potential that you can think of? Like I'm trying to think even like who was the worst player on Matt James this season? I mean, we had some players on Matt James this season. Like Sarah Trott was one who we both thought was going to do very well. And Mm -hmm. it she wound up doing very well, even despite self-eliminating very early on. So it's like, is she the worst player? Mm. No, absolutely not. She got a massive amount of Instagram followers for very little screen time. But what could she have done had she stayed Yeah, in I it? would say that she had the most potential that she squandered. Like, sure, maybe she would have been involved in controversies going forward, but I think she could have had... 500 Instagram 500k Instagram followers by now as opposed to wherever she's at I think she could have won the ring but yeah worst player is hard to say because it is some night one guy or girl that you just are I mean if you went back through all the night one guys and girls you probably can find a few who got too drunk on night one and I would put them in that Mm -hmm. category because that's a simple fixable mistake that you just shouldn't make but I don't know. It's a funny question and a difficult one to answer. Vintage Talia asks, are you aware that the order of the roses are given out in the edit is not always the same as the order they were given in person? If so, how does this affect the rose quotient? Does it even have any effect at all? We are very aware of that. And part of being a good player is manipulating the producer's actions as well. That's the third audience. This includes trying to manipulate them into giving you the prized one-on-ones like the pretty woman or the early meeting of the family. This includes trying to play ball with them and maybe cut deals to get extra sleep or to be omitted from a group date that might have forced violence or forced nudity. And it includes making them put you in a good order to get a good Mm -hmm. rose quotient. If you're given one of the roses up top, we're talking about first flower, we're talking about second flower, third flower. These are going to help a lower rose quotient. To get those roses, you basically have to do things in game that omit you from the current drama. If you get sucked into a rivalry, if you get sucked into oh shit, she said something bad and the bachelor might kick her off. You don't want to be one of those people on the bubble. Those people always get the last rose. So your play actually does affect that order, whether it's edited or not. Also, sure, maybe they might edit it to change it a little bit, but I don't think they do that that frequently because you have these group shots where you can see who has a rose already. They have to go out of their way in order to fuck with that. But yeah, I mean, a lot of what you're doing as a player is trying to get a good edit. That is a huge part of your job, and that is included in the in the rose ceremonies. That's part of why we encourage people to come up with their own little catchphrase when they accept a rose. You're trying to get in that edit as much as you can. 
Tua Carolina asks, is there anything that really shocked you from the franchise? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Couple things. You mean our wowie moments? <laughs> I fucking everything. The premise of the show yeah. is shocking. 30 women dating one guy. He's going to have sex with multiple of them and then propose to one after knowing them for a month and a half. Shocking. At least it was when it came out. <laughs> All the way up to like seasons that had all white players are shocking. Matt James's conversation with his father. Them putting all of the women together for Fantasy Suites Week. Chase Rice. Kelly Gerard asks, is there anything you want to change about how you do the podcast or consume The Bachelor and all of its Bachelor Nation content? Absolutely. Eventually, yes. we want to get big enough that we're doing a video version of this podcast and really turn it into a show. It just is going to require us to get a little bigger so that we can hire people to help us do that. My One of my mini tweaks I really want to make is I want to figure out how we can watch the show on East Coast time so that we're not up till 4 a.m. Monday nights. That is a big one as well. Meg Gibson, 33, asked, do you think that eventually all reality TV will become covered like sports or it reserved for classics and favorites like The Bachelor or Married at First Sight, 90 Day Fiance, etc.? I think absolutely they will all start to be covered as sports because it is starting. Bachelor is the biggest one, so I think that's where it will start. But we're starting to see the coverage of the Bravo schedule, etc., covered in this more sports-like way. And I do think we could do what we do for The Bachelor for any of those shows as well. There's certain plays and archetypes, et cetera, that can, like, I would love to do this for The Housewives is, you know, when you're a new housewife, what do you need to do to be able to get staying power and stay on that show? Mm. And I think I could coach someone to greatness. Mm, I like <laughs> if any this. housewives are out there. Jurassic Pask asks, which show do you think is more strategic? Bachelor, Bachelorette, or Survivor, since they're both reality TV games? Uh, excuse me. It's The Bachelor, Bachelorette. There's a whole component to our beloved game that no other reality TV show has, which is the players have to pretend like they're not playing. They have to make it believable <laughs> to the audience, to all four audiences, to the other players to The Bachelor, to the producers, and to us, we all have to believe that they're not playing a game. And in fact, they are playing a fucking game. Survivor or Big Brother, any of that other shit, it's from moment one, it's a game. Everyone knows it's a fucking game. And they're openly talking about strategy. They're making alliances, mm -hmm. all that kind of shit. You cannot do that in Bachelor or you get fucking eliminated. That extra component of it means the players of this game, of our beloved game, are operating at a level of psychological manipulation none of these other fuckers could handle ever. I would love to see a top survivor or big brother player dropped into the fucking Bachelor. They would get eaten alive. There are certain players on Survivor that I think would do very well in our beloved game. Parvati. Did you watch any seasons with her? No. Her, she was very flirtatious, and that was one of the things that she used to get ahead, and I would fucking love to see her on The Bachelor. She's married with children at this point, but 
I think she there are some crossover players who I think could do it. And Survivor, you have to have these other skill sets. So they do have to get very good at the non-social game as well. Survival skills, being able to operate on extremely low energy, etc. So I won't knock them for that. They they also have some other factors going in that make that a really hard game to play. And even on like Survivor All-Stars, when you're like people who have been through this before, they can still get so exhausted by the game that they give up and quit. Yeah, interesting. I, maybe there are a couple of players from these other shows who could hang in Bachelor, but just the the base premise of The Bachelor is that you can't make it seem like you're playing a game, even though we're watching you play yeah. a fucking game. That skill is like unbelievable to me. True. It is very hard to come off for TRR, especially if you know better. Montana Bus has a functional question. What's the difference between a precog and future casting? A precog is when you say, I would accept a proposal from this person, or I would propose to this person. Future casting is saying, this is what our life would look like when we're out in the world shopping at Walmart and making each other dinners at night. Future casting is talking about what your future uh, life together might look like. Precog is saying, this is the action I would take if this happens in game. Yeah, precog is very specifically about the proposal. Future casting often is associated with when we're back in the real world, when we go to Costco and we have a minivan together, etc. I mean, they can be linked. If you're talking about Costco, it's kind of an implied precog, but you got to say the words, I would accept a proposal in order for us to count that as a precog play. <laughs> Al Lane asks, if you could interview Lauren Zima and ask her one question, which she had to answer completely honestly, what would it be and why? This is kind of a follow-up to that earlier question about asking anyone in Bachelor Nation a question. This is specifically Lauren Zima. Pretty interesting. I guess I would ask her, where are you and how do we help you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, mine would be, again... I would ask different questions if they didn't have to answer. But if they had to answer, I would be like, what do you think about the Chris Harrison situation? Assuming I get a truth serum. There's just so much interesting shit going on in that. Like, I guess she's in Texas. I guess she's living in his house. I guess. She's not mm -hmm. making any Bachelor content now. Included, I mean, that's, that was her fucking job. She was on Entertainment Tonight talking about it. To my knowledge, that is no longer the case. And that has to be because she has taken her side. She's with Dark Lord Harrison, and she's got to be hoping he's going to come back to the franchise so that her whole career can start up again. If he doesn't, what the fuck does she do then? She's just living with Dark Lord Harrison, I guess? That's her job? I don't know. I feel like she is in a very strange situation, and I would love to just know what that's like, I guess. My question would be like, you know what my question would be? <laughs> what is Dark Lord Harrison really like? You see the real Dark Lord. What is he mm. really fucking like? I'm so curious about, like, what is that like to date Dark Lord Harrison? Now, the current one. She met him. 
well after I mean, he we had know. become the Dark Lord. She has she has shared screenshot shots of text messages between them. I think we know the real relationship. That's sarcasm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> but I I just love when they post stuff like that. She's like, oh, look at how cute my boyfriend is, basically. And it's like, did you just discuss that conversation? You're like, let's make this text thread look like this so you can post it online. Well, we don't know where Lauren Zima is or what she's doing, but hopefully we will soon. Time will tell. Hill Gino asks, why were the Fergusons not considered a dynamic duo in one of your recent pods about archetypes? You specifically said dynamic duos always form during the show. I disagree. Well, Hill Gino, allow me to illuminate this situation. Twins hold a very special role within our beloved game, and only they can be bestowed with the title Gemini. This refers to... The limo exit, when two twins emerge from the limo with one another. And it also refers to basically all of their play styles within the game that involve each other. Like when the Ferguson sisters were sent on a fucking brutal two-on-one date. And Ben Higgins had to dump Haley Ferguson in front of Emily Ferguson in their familial home as their mother watched in Las Vegas. But that's a Gemini, not a dynamic duo. Yeah, we certainly did not forget about the Ferguson twins, and will never. Holly Goes Lightly asks, At Bachelor Clues mentioned that you almost hit your breaking point this season. It was rough to watch the treatment of Matt James and the BIPOC contestants, and that you think it will get better as we pressure for change, like in your baseball example. And I was wondering if you all worry about adding a new level of complicity as you move from unpaid reporters slash fans to possibly monetize podcasters and authors, also, whether you all are worried about the show having a real fallout slash a complete restructuring to the point that your analysis is no longer relevant. Obviously, I hope we get to stay in the pit. Two-part question there from Holly Goes Lightly. Am I worried about adding a new level of complicity as we move from unpaid reporters, fans, to possibly monetize podcasters and authors? No. It's the same level of complicity that has existed since <laughs> I have first started watching the show. I mean, we openly talk about the problematic elements of the show and how it's shitty to have to watch them, but how we love the game. I don't think that's going to change for me. I mean, as you said, Holly goes like, like, this season was the closest I came to being like, fuck this. This is, it makes me feel terrible to, to watch this. But we made it through season 25. We gave our analysis. Mm-hmm. We mentioned all the things that were terrible and problematic about it. We'll, we're going to continue doing that. Like I, That's just how we watch the show. I don't see that even as a possibility of changing. Do you, Pace Case? I definitely don't feel more complicit than before. If anything, the show is slowly getting more progressive, so the beginning was the, technically the most complicit, <laughs> in my mind. Um... And what was it? it? Does the game change and our coverage won't be relevant? I am not worried about our coverage being relevant. I think our coverage will always be relevant. I think we have perfect coverage. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like in sports. There are constantly <laughs> rules changes to all professional sports or 
equipment gets changed or they add new teams or more games to a season, which changes statistics. This shit happens all the time in all sports and coverage is coverage. Like whatever happens to the bachelor, we'll talk about it and render our opinions and our analysis. There will always be coverage of the bachelor, whatever form it takes. Ours, I feel like as a kind of specific variety of coverage where we are analyzing it as a game and talking about the kind of societal implications of it and how it's culturally relevant. I think that'll be something we could do as long as the show is on the air. Agreed. Lily Army asks, is it annoying how people within the Bachelor Nation are discrediting you guys, even with your fun and realistic points about the show? Are we being discredited? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) Uh (laughs) uh-oh. I wasn't aware of. The only, okay, the only discrediting I can think of is Tasha saying she doesn't like us on Clickbait. Oh, that's true. That's true. Is, I, do you I don't, feel discredited? No, they talked about our show. I feel credited, Credit. in fact. Credited. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't feel discrediting is happening at this point, but no. even if there is, I, I'm fine with that. People can have whatever reaction they wish to what we're doing, and so much the better. Yeah, I definitely, I don't think everyone is going to like our show, which has always been true. Sarah Tolliday asks, does a good player make a good lead or do they know too much? We shall see with Katie Thurston's season. (laughs) I would say she's probably the best player that we've had lead. I don't know. Rachel Lindsay was a pretty fucking strong player. I mean, it it really depends on the person and what happens when they get into the lead. There's a certain quality that the lead needs to have that doesn't necessarily translate to being a good player. You know, a good player is like Madison Pruitt. Would she be a good bachelorette? I don't know. I can I would watch that season. Obviously, I'd watch any season. Yeah. Obviously, but uh, it good would be other ugh, thing. it would be heavy focus on her virginity. That's all it would be. But the best leads, in my opinion, are like Hannah Brown was one of the best because, and she wasn't like a super strong player. She was one of only three players to have both the first and last one-on-one date in her season. I'll just say that for what it's worth. But that's also like a producer Mm -hmm. thing. But as a lead, she was fucking great. She got kicked off in seventh place of her season 23 of The Bachelor, Colton Underwood. And then as a lead... She generated the most Instagram followers that we've ever seen, obviously, and had huge ratings in her season. And I think it was because she was able to convey these two kind of opposing pieces of a personality, which is I'm in control and I'm not in control. And that's really what (laughs) we want to see. We want to see a lead who is controlling their love story and not taking shit from, you know, people who are for TWR or people who are uh getting in fights with people or whatever we like we liked the moment when she stood up to luke parker and said you know i yeah i did have sex and jesus loved me that was an iconic moment and we loved when she finally saw through his shit and kicked him off the show when she moved the fucking pedestal all that shit we loved it Mm -hmm. we also loved when she's breaking down and saying she doesn't have all the answers and is sobbing hysterically at various things happening. We loved when she had kind of that uh, breakdown moment turned to a moment of power in the end with Jed Wyatt, where she's crying and like, I can't believe this is happening, and then gives the ring back and says, you know what, this doesn't mean what it meant. I'm through with you. It's having the ability to seem vulnerable 
that you can crack and break under pressure, but that you're always going to make it right. You're always going to have the wherewithal to come back and take control of the situation. And a lead like PP, for example, never gives you the idea that he has Illusion control. Illusion, he's in control. Yeah. Ever. He was just, and why, that's why he was a bad moment. lead, in my opinion. <laughs> that His season was all about the players. He was almost not there because they did whatever they wanted to him, both producers and players. So I don't think it's yeah, necessarily. I would say the correlated. vulnerability of Hannah Brown was part of what people really loved about her. And she's also kind of floating between these two worlds of she's super Christian, but she's also sex positive, which I think is interesting. And I'm wondering whether whether Thurston can make some moves to try to win over that right wing side of Bachelor Nation to get these kind of numbers that Hannah Brown has. But I do think they both are really strong players because they were able to get the crown from being sent home very early. They made a huge splash in a shorter period of time. Well, who is the who is a person that you would want to see as a lead the most? A pace case question. Is it Courtney Robertson? <laughs> Courtney Robertson, Mary Delgado. I think Mary Delgado could have been the best lead ever because she did seem for TRR, but also was like... It came back for a second tour. <laughs> she was just naturally gifted. Yeah, so she had a great third audience game. Obviously, the producers love her. But she also had an ability to just kind of like intuit the game. And again, she... I mean, we've said this a million times, but I just can never let it go. She played during the fucking experimental era. This is a different game. There are no rules at this point. I mean, there are, but they're constantly changing. They're in flux. And you have to just kind of fucking be like, okay, I guess in this iteration of it, I guess there's going to be two bachelors. Okay, in this iteration of it, I guess the bachelor's going to live on the fucking property with us. And there's not really going to be one-on-one dates. He's just going to come to the house and like hang out. I guess in this iteration, he gets oh, there's to fantasy four suites fantasy before suites. hometowns. Yeah. yeah, all of that shit. And she did it. Like, she did it better than anybody. So I think she has like a kind of unique ability among maybe every player who's ever played to have that fluid play style where she can adapt to any situation. And in terms of a lead, that is invaluable because you never really know what the producers are going to throw at you. And unlike players, you don't have off days. If you're a player, there are going to be days where you're not on a group date, where you're not on a uh, one-on-one and you'll get your cocktail party time with them, but that's it. If you're doing it right, there's no off days when you're a player either. Constantly creating content. Mansion free play antics. Yeah, of course. Yes. Come on, <laughs> clues. <laughs> you know what I mean? In terms of the formal structure of the game where the producers are trying to manipulate you, there will be days sure. where you're just back at the mansion making up your own shit. But if you're a lead, every fucking moment of every fucking day is a producer trying curve to throw something at you. Ball. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you got to be able to hang with those crazy ass punches. And I think Mary Delgado, oh God, I just would have loved to have seen it. Yeah, a lead should definitely be able to cry on cue. I feel like that's super important. To be completely in control of your emotions and only let them out when it's strategically beneficial. But that wraps it up. 
we covered some questions, hopefully uh, shed some light on some of these hard-hitting subjects. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for our answers to these questions. And thank you, of course, for submitting them all. We love to be able to kind of have these moments where we really talk about the game, answer these questions from people who understand the game. Yeah, some really good questions. Very impressed. And, of course, we will be coming back in 48 short hours to deliver a This Week in Bachelor Nation to you to discuss all the news that's happening this week in Bachelor Nation, all the parasocial plays, our screams from the pit, etc. And then we've got a very special Patreon episode that's going to be out next Monday. Please join us for that as well. And before we go, as always, what is the Dwab at? It has been 6,944 days without an Asian bachelor. Praise be our beloved game. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums, as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. Uh, it's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums, and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day oh. program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact... Mm. They have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare.